Hey, what's up? Welcome to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd and my co-host, Canucks Insider Thomas Trance, here with you on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Text in. Text in. Please do. Please text in. Sorry, I'm just... I'm, I thought you had something to say. No, I'm. I, I in fact, I I'm busy at the moment. Unfortunately, I'm I'm tracking on flight aware. Oh boy. Uh, yeah. Oh a, boy. A, a private jet flying from Kelowna to Dulles Airport in Washington D.C. Um, not sure if there's a hockey player on it or if it's just Arlene Dickinson, but <laughs> I'll uh, I'll let everyone know as the as the show proceeds. Uh. Yeah, what a what a twenty four hours. Canucks fans now know <laughs> exactly. what it feels like to root for the Toronto Blue Jays. Exactly what it feels like uh, to root for in that situation. I mean, look did i open my <laughs> did I open my work laptop and discover like Shohei Otani's baseball reference page and and Seattle Mariners tickets <laughs> page? Oh on, yeah, did you buy them? Uh, I didn't buy them. Okay. No, open in my browser uh, from Friday <laughs> afternoon. Yes, I did. Oh yeah. Was it another gut punch? Yes, it was, man. I'm so glad that like that heady two hours we spent live talking to the public yeah. and like mocking Mariners fans and stuff, or at least I did. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Love that it lives forever now. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Hey, we all went through it together. We all went through it together. As, uh, as, um, it's said that sports isn't about having fun or celebrating your team's successes. It's about being sad in a group. That was a great example of it. Yeah. First, being excited in a group, and then being sad. I think that's that <laughs> Fuleman guy, the same guy who did the uh, the um, Mark Donk tweet. Oh, yeah. Very yeah. good. One, one, I, a great one. Yeah, that guy's like one of the all-time great sports philosophers. Uh, I do have a Canucks-related takeaway from the Otani thing, by the way. But we can get into that a little bit later. Yeah, let's do the, the whiteboard. We'll do the then, whiteboard. And then let's do Canucks Otani takeaways. Yes, we'll get into that <laughs> later in the show. Uh, but here is the whiteboard. All right, now, fellas. Hey, let's focus up, huh? I've got it now, Dom. It's in my head. It's solidified in my head. I'm not going to do it again. Uh, it is the whiteboard, your daily deep dive into what's up with the Canucks for today. December 11th, and the headline is, we'll start with the headlines, of course, Transfer. The headline is, uh, Canucks win their second in a row on home ice, beating the Carolina Hurricanes, the reeling Carolina Hurricanes, 4-3 at Rogers Arena on uh, on Saturday night. And this one really, you know, the, the sub-headline from this one, from the big headline of the result of the game for me, Drancer, was Elias Pettersson, three points, including the game-winning goal, and beyond the counting stats, some really, really positive signs. I thought he looked aggressive was the word that came to mind for me. Aggressive and dangerous Yeah, how Elias Pettersson looked. He was the best player on the ice by a mile and a good example of the sort of outs, like we talk about how the Canucks have outs even when they don't play well, right? Pedersen takes over game is is one of those outs. Mm -hmm. We hadn't seen it in a couple weeks, and, and somehow people were panicking, but... We saw it on Saturday night. That was Pedersen. I wasn't his absolute best. I wasn't panicking. Well, but I wanted wouldn't. to see it. Yeah, but well, I was like, I my I always my... want to see it. It's fun. <laughs> but my point was like, 
it's not just because sometimes a player goes through the a cold streak, right? And people with a sort of people who are inclined to see the game through an analytic lens, which I would include myself in that to a degree, right? You know, we always go to, well, he's just not getting the bounces right now, right? And sometimes it's more than that. And I did think it was more than that with Elias Pettersson, right? That we weren't seeing the same kind of dominance or aggression or consistently dangerous play from Elias Pettersson. So for me, it was just, it wasn't panic. It wasn't pressing the panic button or, oh, you know, he's not worth the money they're going to give him or anything like that. You know, some of those texts did start to come in, but it was more, some of them, how long does this go on? And if it does stretch on for an extended time, does the cushion the Canucks built in the standing start to slip away? And, you know, lo and behold, he has a great game on Saturday, and we'll get into the playoff odds later on in the whiteboard, but, like, the two things are so closely correlated, <laughs> obviously. the Elias Pettersson's performance and the fortunes of the Canucks and where they sit in the standings. And it was just really reassuring to not just see the three points, because his point production hasn't really waned that much at any point this year. But, you know, the the goal, the Lafferty goal, the one nothing goal, just the fact that he is attacking the middle of the ice, right, looking to get his shot, ends up creating the goal for Lafferty, but it's off a shooting attempt and a shot on goal by Elias Pettersson. It's, it's those moments that I did think were a little bit lacking over the previous couple of weeks, and if he's back to that version of Elias Pettersson for an extended stretch, bodes very, very well for the Canucks fortunes as well. Yeah, I mean, look, there's my strong suspicion is that we're going to see a lot of Canucks players go through this. I at first, I thought Pedersen was dealing with some injuries, and he might have been dealing with some... There's a difference between like being hurt and being injured. I, mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. he might have been hurt a bit, but I don't think hurt enough to use it as an excuse. I don't think hurt enough that he would have used it as an excuse. Mm-hmm. And like fundamentally, what, what I think happened was he had a, a, an 11-game stretch from the middle of November through the game on Saturday where his on-ice shooting percentage dipped below 10%. Like, I, I fundamentally actually do think... And and the bounces, I think, is an unhelpful way to think about it. It's like the the way that I'm going to try and frame it going forward is the NHL is such a good league that sometimes you go on an unsustainable run of the things you're trying to do work and the things other people are trying to do don't. Mm. But over a large enough sample, you're playing NHL players. They're all incredible. And sometimes the things you try to do will not work and the things other people try to do against you will. And I, I just think that's what happened to Pedersen for about a 10-game stretch. I think that's like fundamentally the biggest thing we should we should point to. It definitely, everything he tried worked on Saturday. He was oh, at yeah. the absolute top of his game. Um, the shot that creates the, the Lafferty uh, goal, you know, that's deflected by... Jacob Slavin, but the the move on the rush entering the zone yep. was was high end, and then the way he walked Brett Pesci, which again, like it's one thing to walk a defenseman, it's another thing to walk Brett Pesci, right? Brett Pesci's an incredibly stout defensive defenseman, and he turned him completely inside out, out wide on the rush, and then you know finds Ilya Mikheyev in the blue paint, and uh, like truly, that's a bank shot. You know, you get credit for an assist, but. That's Pedersen using a teammate as a bank shot. He mm-hmm. found that goal, uh, you know, base, basically himself. I mean, and then obviously we, we know about, like, it wasn't just the wraparound. It wasn't just the fact that it came in a huge moment of the game. Um, it wasn't just the fact that he then picked up Sam Lafferty uh, and held him tightly. <laughs> it was the way that he actually ate Sebastian Ajo, yep. who, by the way, again, like, again, it's we're talking extraordinary, about... Extraordinary. We're yeah. talking about getting the best of Slavin, Pesci, Ajo. These are, like, three of the top 20 defensive players in the league. And 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 he was just eating their lunch all over the ice. Pedersen's the headliner, but that was the best game Vancouver has played in a month. 
at least. They were they were excellent, sort of um, nose to tail. Yeah, and even on Saturday night, even you know if you look at like the shot attempt chart or whatever, obviously Carolina pours it on late and comes out ahead in that metric, but. You know, this is classic Carolina. Like, I didn't feel like it was five-alarm chance after five-alarm chance, oh, even in the third period close. when they're chasing, right? So, yeah, they got a bunch of pucks towards the net or in the general vicinity of the net, but it never felt like, oh, boy, they're going to score here any minute. The only time it felt like that was the first two minutes of the third. Mm. They came out and they had, like, three consecutive heavy shifts and, and, like, looked like they were doing Hurricanes things, but they only looked like they were doing Hurricanes things for about three minutes of the game. Uh, there was one dicey moment late. Sebastian Ajo sort of beat JT Miller up high um, and then used that advantage, pressed it down low. Uh, I, I can't remember if it was a pass or a rebound shot. I think it was a rebound that Slavin had, uh, Jacob Slavin had a shot um, sort of left side of Demko, and it was a pretty high leverage shot, but he completely flubbed it. Like, it wasn't even savable. It was way wide mm-hmm. uh, and low velocity. Like, even if he'd put it on net, Demko probably had time to make the recovery. So... The, you know that was there were like two dicey moments in the game, and when you play a team like Carolina that that really excels at controlling play five on five, and you control the game, you dictate the pace the whole night, and the Canucks absolutely did on Saturday. I mean that's a that's a heck of a performance. I thought that was a, a really impressive performance from the Canucks, and and we're now you know it's people will say like oh well then now they've won two in a row they're out of that win one lose one mm-hmm. rotation that they've been keeping but for me it's more that this road trip has been on our radar or home this stand. home stand excuse me has been on our radar as like a tough one yeah for months like even before the season this was sort and they of, won the first two of it then they've won yeah. the first two right so now well, sorry, they lost to the Devils. Sorry, they lost, sorry, they won two or three. But you're two and one going into a pair of tough games against these Florida teams. Like you split it, and this, and you've not just survived. Had a, had a, you've not just survived. You've yeah. had a really strong homestand against you know five pretty imposing teams. So I, I liked a lot of. I liked a lot of what we saw from the Canucks on Saturday. Uh, any other headlines? or I, There's some other stuff we can talk about from the game, but I think, at least from my perspective, it rolls kind of into the broadsheet and the rumor mill yeah, I section. Think, let's, so we'll, let's go to the broadsheet. We'll go into that. Do you want to start with Bear or, or Kuzmenko? Um, well, we have audio. Why don't we play right. Friedman on it from 32 Do we have Thoughts? Friedman? And then we can... What, what Dom? It's your podcast, buddy. You don't have the audio at hand? I do. Give me one second. <laughs> Let's rag the puck and help him out. If only we had the producer of 32 Thoughts in-house. It would be so easy to get the clips from the podcast. (laughs) Anyway, look, there's some Kuzmenko updates and there's some Bear updates. And and Friedman recaps some of what's going on. Dolly Wall had some additional um, details, which we'll get into on the other side of this clip. Um, But I think there's a bunch of interesting nuggets from Friedman that that are worth digesting, both for the news and for... Um, you know, some of the editorial content on them. So do we have it? Did I rag the puck well enough no. for you? Okay. 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 So <laughs> in particular, <laughs> look, let's do, let's do, well, let's do the newsy stuff for on Ethan bear first. Well, sure. Okay. No, we have the clip. We have the clip. So we'll start with Kuzmenko. Here's Sick. Elliot Friedman from what 32 thoughts of our show. On, on, on Andre Kuzmenko and the Canucks. Yeah, everybody knows that Vancouver is trying to clear cap room, right? They did it in the trade with Beauvillier, and I don't think that's ended there. Well, now we see a situation where Kuzmenko is down to, you know, he's still on the number one power play. 
I would really be worried about his situation in Vancouver if he was taken off that power play. That's when you know that Rick Tockett or whatever the case has had enough. He's still there. So to me, that's a sign that this is a team that has not given up on this player. But his ice time is way down. He had two recent healthy scratches. You're making 5-5 this year and next, although he has a partial no trade. Um, nobody wants that from a guy who's playing 12 minutes a game. You just, it, it doesn't make sense in today's NHL. So I think there have been some conversations between the Canucks and teams. What are we thinking about here? And it's probably too soon. Although one thing we've learned about Vancouver, if they get something, they do it. Nobody makes more trades in the untradeable NHL than the Vancouver Canucks. So whenever I hear they're talking to someone, you know you can expect it at any time. So he, it's definitely a situation where they are talking to teams and teams are talking to them about Kuzmenko. That is Elliot Friedman on the Andre Kuzmenko and kind of fleshing out a little bit what he had to say on Saturday night, which is that teams are calling Andre Kuzmenko and kind of giving us the lay of the land there. And as you said, there's a lot that's calling interesting. On. Calling on. Let's is make sure. I said, oh, call, I I said calling, calling him. No. Which like, no, let's that's just make sure we're not accusing You're not anyone allowed of tampering. To do that. You're not allowed to do that. They're calling the Canucks <laughs> about... Andre Kuzmenko, and you know the. I'm sure interest is really high. Yeah. Well, look. (laughs) Come on. There's so, you know, Elliot says, okay, well, he's still on the first power play. Now we have seen him shifted off the first power play at times as well around the healthy scratch. But one of the issues with okay, we're going to get value out of this guy just from the power play, and we're going to reduce his minutes on five on five. Is you know, you look at the game. On Saturday night, they take their la- they get their last power play really early in the second period, er, period, basically right at the beginning of the period. And for the final 40 minutes of the game, Kuzmenko, by my count, played 426. Yeah. Three shifts in the third period, none in the final, about nine and a half minutes. They and weren't that, on the power play. And, and they that's came, in a close game. And that's in a close game, right? So that's like that's four and a half minutes out of 40 that he's on the ice that's like you can say well he's still in the first power play but that's very very alarming usage for a player again making above five million this season yeah and and dolly wall had some additional context on donnie and dolly uh which i was watching before we went on air just talking about how everyone's first preference is for this to work out for the player to get Mm -hmm. going again and for the canucks to get back to using him more solidly um but he also noted like Whatever is happening, whatever conversations are happening, whatever interest is being shown, it doesn't exactly sound like it's new. So okay. so I thought that was interesting from Dolly Wall. The thing about the power play usage versus the first unit usage, or, or sorry, five-on-five usage is one thing that made Kuzmenko so prolific last season was that he was glued to Elias Pettersson. And we saw against Carolina – what life can How that be can like work out for you yeah what 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 what's life like playing on Pedersen's wing when he's at the absolute top of his powers because he set up a tap-in for each one of his line mates right like Sam Lafferty comes out of that game with a goal and an assist I remember the goal I couldn't tell you what pass he made that he got credit for an assist on right like points kind of just like drip off guys when when, they, when they're playing with Elias Pedersen and he's on top of his game Kuzmenko's already lost that job um it could come back. I'm not saying it's a permanent thing, mm-hmm. but I do think it's going to take some work for him to get back to that sort of usage, especially given that even when he was taking line rushes on an every game basis with Pedersen, we still saw his ice time be 
closer to fourth line minutes or, they, or certainly bottom six they minutes. They were still looking for ways to reduce those minutes in certain situations. Especially when they were uh, yeah. leading, right? So so then you don't get the empty netters. You don't get the counterattacking goals. Like we've seen from this Canucks team, like I think they're actually a really good team. One thing I think this team's really good at is playing with a lead. I think they're pretty mm. good at taking opponents' punches and countering you know, with with lethal force uh, against the grain, once score effects sort of take over, there's a lot of offense there. Like, if you're not getting those minutes, you're yep. missing out on some of the best opportunities that this team's going to generate over the balance of the season. So he's already lost that ice time. And look, I don't think I'm breaking any news here. Canucks PP1, which I am 0% concerned about, and I want to go back to, like, the power play is probably the thing I'm least concerned about about this team when, when it has, like, an off stretch. But it's having an off stretch. This team hasn't been scoring on the power play the way they were earlier in the season. And that's not like it's not a new thing. That's been a few games here. I think, what, three power play goals in their last eight, I believe. Um, a little better if you go over the last 10, but not much. Four, four power play goals in their last 10 games for this team. Well, if the power play, say, say it goes one in seven over its next seven opportunities, which is, I mean, that could happen even if they're playing well. Yep. That could happen even if they're generating. Um, who are you moving off of it? Like, you're not moving Quinn Hughes. You're not moving no, JT Miller. There's only one option. You're not moving NHL leading scorer Brock Besser. You're not moving Elias Pettersson's straw that stirs the drink, always has a defenseman standing at the circle simply by his presence on the flank. Yeah. So, you know... It's good that they're continuing to try and get Kuzmenko going five on four. Like, I think that's vital. But, I, I mean, it's hard for me to imagine that his grasp on even that part of the opportunity is like ironclad at this point. And it does feel like we're in a bit of a holding pattern right now, just in terms of his usage, right? Because he was he was skating with Elias Pettersson, then he comes out of the lineup, and now we I think we've settled into this, okay, fourth line, five on five minutes, first power play unit situation. That, you know, I, it's tough to kind of figure out what the path out of that is. And obviously, you know, Rick Tockett would say, hey, Andre Kuzmenko has to start checking these boxes. But, you know, somebody texts in, Lee Fader, Steve texts in, Kuzmenko looks so nervous out there, Tockett has got into his head. And I don't want to blame Rick Tockett because, look, this is what he's trying to do. He's trying to make sure everyone's on the same page and everyone's playing the same way. But I do think over the last couple of games, even on the power play, you've started to see some doubt, some you know, some lack of confidence creep in. Like, there's a, a chance in the first period where he has a glorious shooting opportunity in the power play. I'm, Passes it off. Looks I, it off. I'm so not here for this. Like, what did this organization want specifically? Higher standards. And accountability. accountability. Like, yeah. specifically, Rick Tockett's been tasked with driving accountability in terms of the structural elements of how they want this team mm -hmm. to play. He benched JT Miller. Guy has 40 points in 26, 27 games. He's playing some of the best hockey of his career. He got benched for uh, the last seven minutes of a period because he took two minor penalties and lost his temper. You know, mm -hmm. like, you got to bounce back. It's the NHL, man. Yeah, and I do think but the, my only question is how hard is it going to be for him to regain his confidence in the role he's currently playing? Right. And then you kind of get into this vicious cycle where right. the confidence is low, but he doesn't have the opportunities to get his confidence back. But you don't want to give him those opportunities because you've set the standard. Right. You know what I mean? Like you can't bend on that standard, but then you're just in this situation where, 
well, this is kind of just what he is now for our team until he gets his confidence back. He's on PP1. Yeah. With like three of the top 10 NHL point getters <laughs> and the NHL's leading scorer. Like, I don't know what, what are we talking about? Now, you know, anyway, I, I, I'm, I'm not here for the confidence argument uh, personally. This is a guy, this, this guy's not 21. This guy's not 19. You know what I mean? This, mm-hmm. Like, I'll tell you, like, the confidence argument that I'm here for is the, is the guy like Pod Colson, who we know to be a thinker, right, who's a younger guy, who you can, like, see it really wear on him. I think you can see it in some of the decision-making that, that we're, we're, that's in evidence with Kuzmenko, but, like, this is a guy who d- doesn't shoot anyway. Like, last year, it was incredible how few shots he took, given how many times he was beating goaltenders. Like, you know, him passing up shots, is that confidence or is that always his game? Because he's one of those guys who is pass first. Yeah. And when he shoots, he scores. Like, he, you know, shoots at an extraordinarily efficient clip, a true poacher. You know, that that's kind of his game. So, I, I just – anyway, I'm not here for that argument. I think fundamentally the guy needs to play better. And, you know, you could see it, for me anyway, against Carolina where, like, I don't think it's work. I don't think it's a work rate thing. I think it's a recognition thing. Like, I literally think – with the puck, this guy's a genius level player in terms of finding seams and identifying where play is going. And I think without it, um, you know, if it's like, oh, it's my time to forecheck and I better get there fast. Otherwise, someone else is going to be out of position. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's that he's like moving too slowly even or not working hard enough to get to those spaces. I think he's late to recognize it. Like that's that's what I'm seeing anyway. And that's what I was seeing against Carolina. And, and if that's the case, um, you know, I think it's going to be hard for him to work his way back up the lineup. Um. Okay. There's more about Andre Kuzmenko and lots of text coming in. The one other thing I did we didn't even talk. We haven't even talked. We'll talk. The whiteboard's going to be a little bit extended uh, this time. That's all right. But uh, just the other thing that I thought was interesting was Friedman connecting it explicitly. The calls on Kuzmenko explicitly mentioning, "Hey, the Canucks are also there's these ongoing attempts to clear up cap space," which I thought was interesting as well. Uh, Ethan Bear Canucks out on Ethan Bear per Rick Dollywall. Other reporting from Friedman from Chris Johnson as well indicating that it's not official, but that Washington, the favorites to land Ethan Bear and uh, Dollywall and others reporting, hey, they're able to offer term and more money than the Canucks and other teams. And may give them, I mean, the term thing give them is amazing. Now, yeah. I'm of two minds here, because on the one hand, if Barrett lands in Washington and it's two times three, I'm sure a lot of people in the market are going to say, well, makes sense that the Canucks wouldn't have done that, right? But on the other hand, if we're going to enter this 87.6 million dollar cap world where you know i'm i'm even going to be like ah, i think tyler myers might get four right like i i think zadorov might get four right um is there actually an advantage to rolling the dice on a player in bears situation right now and giving him that extra year you know yeah. i actually i actually think that it's like it's i'm sure we're all gonna have sticker shock when we see the final contract but you can see the angle mm-hmm. you can see the angle i don't think i don't think it's a senseless bet from the Capitals if, if that's sort of the way this is trending and, and congratulations to Bear if it does go that way. I was and just going to say and obviously huge to, congrats to Bear if he if he uh, is able to get that second year. That's a big deal. And there's a lot to unpack here. Like one thing I'd note is if you're able to be the presumptive front runner until a week before a player signs after not tendering his qualifying offer, that actually tells me something pretty meaningful and positive about this organization's ability to communicate with its players. Right. Like that takes some relationship management, Mm. not tendering a guy, an injured player, even if they are insured, uh, a a qualifying offer like that. 
Yeah. Athletes don't tend to like that. You don't believe in me? Right? Like, yep. the, I mean, that's so to, to have gone that route and then to be in the mix, um, even if you were limited in terms of the cap considerations, I, I think actually says uh, something that's a pretty positive process indicator for me from an internal communication standpoint. I do think it's worth noting, though, like you do the Beauvillier trade, you carve out cap space, and then they did spend it right away. They went and traded for Zadorov. And the day that happened, part of the conversation was like, are they bringing in both Zadorov and Bear? Are they in on both? Yeah. Are, are we looking at this team actually icing an, a, an average or above defense core for the first time in 15 years? Um, no. <laughs> no, as it turns out. But so, you know, in some ways they kind of made their choice. And I do think that's worth factoring in to our analysis here. I, I don't, you know, I, I know we're going to get a steady flood of texts in that are like, Bear's not the answer, but this is a player who played really well oh, for the not, Canucks. Uh, the answer, but like, he's a helpful player. Of he course had, he is. He had fundamentally similar results to what Heronix managed with Quinn Hughes, with Quinn Hughes last year in a far worse defensive environment. Well, and I also think the other element with Ethan Bear, and we got to move on here, but is if you had Ethan Bear in and Carson Susie comes back, does it open up Tyler Myers' option? Like, does it just gives you more flexibility, right? You have more things to play with than I think they do now on the back end, and 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 a righty who can move the puck, yeah. Which you know are are two things this blue line doesn't have enough of. I, I think it's an interesting discussion. I'm still Team Zadorov and think that deal made sense at the price they paid, but. Um, I do think it's going to be an interesting conversation over the balance of this. Season. Uh, lineup notes for the whiteboard. No lineup notes. No lineup changes. A day off today, and with the results, back-to-back -back wins. I'd be a little surprised, or uh, more than a little, honestly, if we saw any uh, lineup Shocked. changes going into the game tomorrow. Playoff forecast. Good weekend for the Canucks, sitting at a very, very solid ninety-three percent chance to make the playoffs. And what I really wanted to highlight here is Dom's model really starting to see the playoff picture solidify in the Western Conference. You have six teams above, at or above that 93% mark that the Canucks are at. LA, Vegas, Colorado, Dallas, Winnipeg, and Vancouver. So six teams that are heavy, 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 heavy favorites to make the playoffs. Edmonton at 85% after winning seven in a row. So they are strong, strong favorites to make the playoffs as well. And then you see, you know, that kind of theoretical chasing pack after that is really getting more and more theoretical by the moment. Nashville, roughly a coin flip to get that last spot. Calgary trending down. Minnesota trending down. You're cracking. Yeah. 5%. That's tough. No, they're, they're, they're lost. That, that stock is bottoming out. That that stock is is dead. I'm, I'm just going to take the L there and, and write it <laughs> off on my taxes. I feel like we should get at Danny Huntley or, or someone at play now yeah. and have them just just not because I'm suggesting anyone bet it, but because I'd be curious to watch the odds change and, and track it in the segment. But I feel like we should do a two finish with more points. Edmonton and Vancouver. Edmonton and Vancouver. I think I think it would just be fun to see those changes over the course of the season. So in the model, it's Canucks projected for 101 points, Edmonton at 98 points. Right. So, so a three it's close. point gap. It's like close. it's close. Yeah. Um, in terms of Dom's estimation. Right. But but I bet that still Canucks what plus 200 or sorry uh, Euler, uh, Oilers to finish ahead would still be, I think, plus 200, like yeah. two and a half to one, three to one, maybe. And it would just be interesting to, to see that change. Canucks, by the way, still value. So to go to the gambling odds, Canucks still valued uh, minus 500 to make the playoffs. Eighty three percent probability tracking what? Ten percent behind yep. uh, Dom's model. So value there if you're one of those people who like to place a lot of money on safe outcomes uh, on the betting markets. I, 
I can't imagine it, but good for you. Um, I can confirm that is not what you do. Absolutely not. <laughs> but good for you. I, I admire it. Uh, Canucks are now are still at 98.5 over under for their points total. However, it's now minus 140 on the over. Real plus money on the under, um, which suggests that like another win uh, against Tampa Bay tomorrow, and, and you'll probably see them go up to a uh, hundred points as their as their over under. Not a ton of change in the um, awards. Uh, I'm really curious though to see like the one regular season award market that I'm going to be tracking this week most closely is going to be Pedersen for Hart. Given that Nikita Kucherov, who's up to plus four hundred, is now in town, Pedersen has gone from being in the top five for this award. He's now twenty to one. Like he's really faded. Yeah. Over the course of these last 10 games, as his production hasn't caught up and as the conversation, I think, has reached public ears. Um, but I'd, I'd imagine there'll be a lot of eyes. If he outduels Kucherov, I think you could see him get back into the race at 12 to 1, something like that on the fringes of the top five with, with guys like Panarin and Matthews. Uh, so that's the one to track this week. We'll have more tomorrow. That is the whiteboard for December 11th. As a reminder, you can find uh, the whiteboard every day in the Canucks Talk podcast feed. So we hope you enjoy it. Uh, lots more to get into on the other side. You know, we mentioned the Bear stuff, the Kuzmenko stuff, uh, but I think there's uh, there's more to chew on there. So we can get into that. Take some of your texts as well. And my Canucks takeaway from the Shohei Otani episode over the weekend. We'll get into all of that here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650.